0: Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast
1: on Podcast One. If there's one mineral you should be worried about not getting enough of, of course, it is magnesium. You've heard me talk about it. The body's master mineral with over 300 critical reactions, including detoxification, fat metabolism, energy, even digestion, is all influenced by magnesium. Uh, I remember when I was doing Endocrine rotations. My fellow used to pound on us about magnesium and their problems. Two big problems. Magnesium has been largely missing from the U.S. soil since the 1950s, which explains why it's estimated that up to 80% of the population may be deficient. And also, most supplements contain only one or two forms of magnesium, when in reality there are seven that your body needs to benefit from. If you take that latter fact into consideration, is it not logical to conclude that 99% of the population is likely deficient in two or more of the essential forms of magnesium? Good news is is that when you do get all seven forms of magnesium. Pretty much every function, it gets upgraded from your brain to your sleep. Uh, Pain and inflammation even can be affected. It's all improving and it improves fast. That's why I'm excited about what my friends over at Bio Optimizers, makers of industry-leading digestive supplements, have just created. The research team has recently formulated the ultimate magnesium supplement with all seven forms of the mineral. They even include trace amounts of something called monoatomic magnesium, which helps make all the other forms more bioavailable. This is the most complete magnesium product ever created, and until or unless someone comes out with a better one, I suggest you give this a try. Bioptimizers calls the product Magnesium Breakthrough, and they're running a special promotion for our listeners at Bioptimizers.com/drew. That is B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com/drew. You get an additional ten percent off the normal package price with coupon code Doctor Drew. With this simple one action, you can reverse magnesium deficiency in all its forms and upgrade the performance of your body and possibly even how you look and feel. The Magnesium Breakthrough Promotion is only while quantities last at buyoptimizers.com slash drew. That is B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash D-R-E-W. And make sure you use the coupon code Dr. Drew to get 10% off your order. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast, and be sure to support those that support us. Let us keep this thing uh, going, and the Corolla Pirate Ship Afloat, we do appreciate it. Uh, we try to be very careful about who we select for this thing. So also go check out After Dark, and don't forget I do a daily stream at 3 o'clock um, at uh, YouTube slash Dr. Drew. And if you have any questions, uh, some days I take calls, some days it's just on a chat stream, so uh, come be a part of it. We, we need the Corolla Army over there to help me out. Appreciate it very, very much. Uh, and then, of course, over at DrDrew.com for everything else. My guest today is Dr. Gleb Sabursky. Newest book is Resilience, Adapt and Plan for the New Abnormal of the COVID-19 Pandemic. Uh, he has other books, Never Go With Your Gut, which is, I think, a fascinating uh, insight, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. Uh, Dr. Sabursky can be followed on Twitter, Gleb, G-L-E-B, underscore Sabursky T-S-I-P-U-R-S-K-Y. Also Instagram at Dr. underscore Gleb, underscore Sabursky. The website is DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com. dot com. Doctor Spursky, welcome.
2: Excellent. Thank you so much for inviting me.
1: So let's let's start with never go with your gut. That that seems a, a rather uh, uh, contrary to common folk wisdom. Tell me about that.
2: <laughs> it is contrary to common folk wisdom, and unfortunately, con- real folk wisdom is not aligned with recent neuroscience research. So, as in very many areas of medicine. What's called evidence-based medicine, has been showing that very many traditional folk wisdoms about how we heal people physically are completely wrong. The same has been recently shown about mental well-being and decision-making as part of that. How do we decide things with our brain? Our gut reactions, our intuitions are actually not adapted for the modern environment. They're adapted for the savannah environment. When we lived in small tribes of 15 people to 150 people, and we used to be hunters, gatherers, and foragers. So, for example, think about how you respond when you get um, email with some constructive, critical feedback from your boss, or if you're the boss yourself, perhaps, from a major client. The intuitive thing is to go with a fight or flight response. That is what our major threat response is. That's what it's about. That's how we respond to threats. The flight response in that case is simply ignoring the email, just leaving it in your inbox and just saying, okay, whatever, I'll get to it later, and then never getting to it because it feels very uncomfortable, you want to move away from it. So it's the repelling response. The fight response is to write back. And say, oh, what are you talking about? You're wrong. I'm right. You're a jerk. I'm great. Neither of those are the right responses if you want to succeed in your professional career or in your personal life, right? You don't want to do that when your per in your personal life, when your significant other gives you some constructive critical feedback. Fight or flight response, not a good response. Can I can I inter- well. can I interrupt?
1: But, yeah, well, or, I, it, but it, it occurs to me that. You're saying, you know, don't trust your gut in the sense that when you trigger an emotion, don't go with your gut. But shouldn't you trust your gut? Isn't the threat response something very important when you receive a threat? And aren't you more advocating to regulate that threat response and do a more contemplative response, but listen to your gut, but don't go with your gut? Isn't that sort of the the mechanism or am I getting that wrong?
2: you're not really listening to your gut because when you're listening to your gut, you're doing what your gut tells you to do. That's a very, very dangerous tendency. Our gut tells us to be comfortable with the fight and flight response. That's what our gut tells us to do. And that is essentially the essence of the problem. What we do is what feels comfortable to us. The fight or flight response is not the right response. Whether your significant other gives you some constructive critical feedback or your boss or your major client, And it's actually a very bad response in very many situations in the modern world because in the Savannah environment, that was the right response. People lived with saber-toothed tigers. You might have heard of it as a saber-toothed tiger response. Jump out a hundred shadows to get away from that one saber-toothed tiger. Modern world is much more complex. It's really not the right response for the modern world. In the modern world, what you need is a civilized response, not that primal, natural, savage response, you know, Tony Robbins and other gurus tell you to be primal, be savage don 't that is not good well, there 's another
1: layer to this too as as we evolve, we have various different autonomic systems right We have now a, a, a parasympathetic system, and that's probably divide into at least three parts. And one of the component uh, or one of the gut responses of the parasympathetic system, which is the so-called and loosely configured as the down-regulating system of the autonomic mm-hmm. system, is the freeze response. And I must tell you, I am these days dealing much more with the dysfunction associated with dissociation and the freeze response, which also is a good last resort when you're facing a saber-toothed tiger, <laughs> but, but an absolutely categorically pathological response when you're trying to regulate your emotions.
2: You're absolutely right. Uh, And this freeze response is a subcomponent of the flight response. So if you look at the way that it's divided, the, the flight response, you can either flee externally or flee internally. So the fleeing internally, that's the freeze response. And that is, again, a pretty dangerous response. So if we're going a little bit more complex, the freeze response is definitely a component, subcomponent of the fight or flight response. Don't want to do that either. What you want to do is develop those civilized habits. And that's what I talk about, not the primal savage responses, which is the freeze response as part of that, but civilized habits, ones that are adapted to the modern world. And that, as you mentioned before, takes forethought, takes consideration, takes regulation. That is not intuitive. It's not something with which we're comfortable. So the gut response is something with which we're comfortable by definition, and something with which we have developed those civilized habits that are adapted to the modern world are not the gut response. They are complex. They are nuanced. They are adapted to the modern world, and it's something we have to train ourselves to be, and that's not easy. That yeah. is not an easy thing.
1: Yeah, this is we, you and I may diverge here in the sense that you're talking about going from essentially a stem response to a prefrontal cortical sort of contemplative response. And I don't want to get into the thinking fast, thinking slow diathesis because that's probably not even the right way to think about this, right? It's the We're same stuff he's talking about, but probably not a great way to, to divide it. Here, Here's the problem I encounter, and, and I, I think where you're going, I'm going to disagree a little bit, but let's see. It'll be interesting. Um, is I see lots of people using their prefrontal cortex or attempting to use it, but they don't regulate. They can't regulate. They can't. Which begs the issue, why not? Which begs the issue, how does the human normally develop an emotional regulatory system? And why do people get off of that trajectory? And why can't they go back? Why do they layer the prefrontal cortex on top of a dysregulated system and, and certainly there can be some autonomous regulation that happens. It's not It's not completely dysregulated. But the actual real integrated, fully uh, flexible integration is something else that eludes people. Uh, where would it – What? I have my own theory about how it goes down regularly. I mean normally, so to speak. Where should that have happened normally?
2: I think – Well, I want to be very clear. So Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow is a great book, and it points out a lot of the problems with how we behave as human beings. These dangerous judgment errors called cognitive biases that come from how our brain is wired, from our evolutionary background. And we can talk about these specific mistakes. In my work, I extensively talk about these mistakes, but my focus is on how do we actually fix those mistakes. And in fixing those mistakes, it's actually a mistake itself itself to go with the slow, with the slow thinking system. Hmm. So I do not advocate at all simply using the slow thinking. Interesting. We can't think through all the aspects of our lives. Otherwise, we'd be stuck, you know, think about our routines. We go out, we get up in the morning, we go brush our teeth. We can't think about everything. Brushing our teeth is one of those civilized habits that we had to develop. But now it has become automatic. Now it has become, for most people, hopefully it has become automatic for all the listeners of the show, right?
1: My listeners are encumbered, but not encumbered that way.
2: There, there you go. <laughs> so what you want to realize is that you don't want to simply use the slow thinking system, the prefrontal cortex. You want to use that to trigger yourself when your fast system, when your emotional system is going in the wrong direction. And you want to use that to change your mental habits. That is the correct use of the prefrontal cortex. Noticing when you're wrong and addressing it. That is the prefrontal cortex is the way that we learn, is the way that we change ourselves. We can learn and see when our intuitive habits are going us in the wrong direction. And we can develop new healthy mental habits. I mean, that's what CBT and a lot of the successful therapy therapy approaches are about. Developing healthy mental habits noticing when our emotions are going wrong, and redeveloping those. So I talk about that in the sense of, hey, here are the cognitive biases, the dangerous judgment errors that Danny Kahneman talks about, but here are the ways of fixing them. And that's what the recent research has been showing us. How do we actually fix these dangerous judgment errors? What are the specific steps that we can take to address them?
1: Let's go through that, because that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you. It seems like cognitive dissonance, cognitive biases of all types are not just alive and well, they are ruling today in the United States, <laughs> They are, and, and yes. it is preventing yeah. discourse. So take us through it.
2: There are lots of cognitive biases. One of the biggest cognitive biases folks might have heard about that's really ruling today's discourse is called the confirmation bias, where we tend to look for information that confirms our beliefs and ignore information that doesn't. So for example, if you're worried about COVID-19 vaccines, you would be writing something on Google, like, why are COVID-19 vaccines dangerous? Well, what kind of answer do you think Mr. Google will give you if you frame your question that way? Right. (laughs) That will give you an answer about all the reasons why it's dangerous, including a lot of anti-vaxxer websites, which are a big problem. So that is an example of where you're looking for information that confirms your beliefs. Or, let's say, rejecting information that disconfirms your beliefs when you're reading some, let's say, neutral news source and it has some information about, uh, lots of people are paying attention to the elections, right? Has some uh, information about your candidate, which doesn't put that candidate in a flattering light, you might well choose to click past that and not read it. So you will ignore the information that disconfirms your beliefs. The same thing applies to personal life. You know, I've seen a lot when I, I'm, I do executive coaching and life coaching. And so when I see life coaching and I see relationships going wrong in personal life, it's often because people don't pay attention to their significant other. And they specifically hide signs that their relationships are going in the wrong direction, that they specifically hide it from themselves. You know, so many times I've heard that, you know, oh, I should have known it. You know, now looking back, I see all these signs that I missed. That is a fundamental error that people make. They miss these signs and they don't pay attention to them because it feels uncomfortable. Their gut tells them to not pay attention to these signs and therefore they ignore these signs and therefore their relationship keeps getting worse and worse. Instead, of course, what they should do is pay attention to these signs. And here are the techniques to address these dangerous judgment errors. You want to notice when your gut is telling you to not pay attention to certain signs, so that is kind of about noticing, about awareness, about mindfulness. Is, and Could there
1: also be, you know, the, I, I certainly do a lot of people that ignore their gut. They know there's something wrong and they ignore that.
2: I tend to not see that. I tend to see when people ignore something, they are doing something that's comfortable for them. So they feel comfortable ignoring that information. And that feeling of comfort is going with your gut, by definition, right? That feeling of comfort. I would would
1: argue that the the gut is telling them, for instance, my wife is cheating. My gut's Mm -hmm. telling me that I'm going to ignore it It, it, Hmm. because it's too painful. It's too painful.
2: I I would doubt that it's their gut telling them that their wife is cheating. They're noticing signs. Their gut is telling them that I would be uncomfortable. It would be uncomfortable to pursue that information further. Right. They would feel bad. Right. About pursuing it. Yes. So their, their emotions, their intuitions, that's, that's what the gut is. Yeah. Gut reactions, emotions, intuition, same yeah. thing. Yeah. Your heart is telling you that. I would feel bad pursuing that information. Or, or, or even I'm getting near
1: that information, acknowledging it makes me upset, exactly. so I avoid it. Exactly.
2: You're yeah. getting those negative feelings. Yeah. You're getting... So those people tend to have the flight response or the freeze response, mm-hmm. whichever those, sometimes one or the other. People who have more of the fight response, they would intuitively pursue that information. Mm-hmm. Now, people who have learned that, hey, I tend to have the flight response. You need to learn about which dangerous judgment errors you're most prone to. Mm. So if you're prone to a set of dangerous judgment errors having to do with the flight response or the freeze response, you want to learn. How do you tell? How
1: how does somebody tell? One of the
2: best ways of telling that is how you approach the world. Mm. If you tend to be pessimistic, if you see the world as full of threats, that is called the pessimism bias. It's one of the dangerous judgment errors. You see the world as more full of threats, as full of risks, as full of hostilities. You, know, you see the glass half empty. You see the grass yellow on the other side of the hill. You tend to be oriented toward flight. Mm-hmm. You tend to be risk averse. You mm-hmm. tend to be oriented toward flight, toward freeze, not approaching risk, getting away from it. So if you see the world as a more of a hostile place, that's a good indication that you are more flight oriented. If you are more optimistic, you see the world is full of opportunities, you see it, and that's me. That's kind of the my, I am optimistic. I fall into the optimism bias. I tend to be risk blind. That's a big problem. One of my (laughs) biggest problems. (laughs) So that, you, I would tend to be much more of the fight response. I would tend to pursue that information and kind of try to deal with it. Neither of those is the right response intuitively. There's no... Absolutely right response. You want to look at the situation and you want to get away from your intuitive responses, see what would actually help you accomplish your goals and pursue that. And there are a number of what I'm talking about, there are a number of subcomponents for that behavior that we can talk about that are specific ways of dealing with these cognitive biases. But that's the crucial overall approach. You want to distance yourself from your intuitive emotions and you want to see where you could what you could do to pursue your goals so with your significant other if you're noticing signs of cheating or just in general some hostility some coldness in the relationship you definitely want to address that as soon as possible you don't want to be part of those americans who are in the 40 percent divorce rate category right that's not a great relationship of course the same thing applies in your professional life if your boss is giving you the cold shoulder, you don't want to ignore that. You don't want to think that, well, it's probably nothing, you know, whatever. I'm not, I don't want to pursue that. You want to make sure to see that and address it and take the next steps. So whatever your relationships are, you want to make sure to have a healthy approach to them as opposed to either the flight response or the fight response or the freeze response.
1: Your, your bias just creeped in, or at least be, uh, be honest with yourself about what you're seeing and be strategic in how you approach your
2: boss. Absolutely. Because you yes. were going to so right so for the boss. That may not always be the right thing. <laughs> you, you want to find out what's going on. Yeah. So that, let, let's rephrase that. Fair enough. Uh, you want to find out what's going on. You want to find out, hey, what's the situation? Because having a cold shoulder from your boss might indicate a number of things. It might not be about you. It might be about you know, her. She might have just had a bad burrito or might be worried about kids going to virtual right. school right. in the pandemic and what's going on. Right. right. So there are a number of reasons why that might happen, but it might have to do with you. And so you also want to know that. <laughs> which,
1: which is another cognitive uh, error, right? With the fundamental attribution
2: error. That's right. Exactly. So fundamental attribution error is one of these cognitive biases where we tend to attribute to ourselves the, the, that we, how we interact with the environment is due to our internal activities, is due to our internal thoughts, because we observe ourselves from, from within. So, we excuse any problematic, potentially problematic actions that we pursue because we know why we're pursuing them. You know, if you cut off another car in traffic, that's just because you know you didn't see it, or maybe you're really hurrying to get your sick kid to the hospital or something like that right something totally reasonable, understandable, and you don't think you're a jerk. but when somebody cuts you off in traffic. You immediately and intuitively attribute hostile intentions to them. You think that they're a jerk, right? Yeah. That's intuitive. That's comfortable. Because you attribute you don't see other people from the inside. You don't see their internal life. So you judge them simply from the context of the environment and you don't give them a break. I, I wanna, you judge yourself positively yeah. from the within, I, and you judge other people negatively from without. That's I the parse contribution.
1: I, I want to parse out this comfort hypothesis a little bit and, and go back to the being cut off in traffic. When I am cut off in traffic and, and I have a reaction, and I think the other person is an asshole, I find that terribly uncomfortable. I really don't like it, but I can't help it. It comes. Yeah. So how does that fit with the autonomic system being what's comfortable?
2: Be- well, you, are, have, you have developed, personally, you have developed an approach. You know that that person, because of your education, your thoughtfulness, you know that that person is, may not be an asshole. You know that that's not something that is intuitive to that person, that this probably is not the right response about the person, but you have, pro- you have not yet overcome all the aspects of that primal savage brain of attributing assholeness to the person. <laughs> Other people who have not, who are not at your level of cognitive sophistication, likely just go with the idea that hey, that person's an asshole, they're a jerk, and they don't have any bad feelings about having that thought pattern. They feel that that's right, so they are not as cognitively sophisticated as so, you. so, so you know, the, the next level for you of enlightenment and development. And I'm kind of joking here. Yeah. Some my joking, some serious, is to get to the stage where you catch that thought pattern as it's developing and let go of it before it reaches your conscious your conscious thought pattern. So, is is, so is the you case don't... you're
1: making is that I'm experiencing cognitive dissonance?
2: Of course, you are. That's what I'm experiencing. <laughs> okay,
1: because it just feels like I'm having a bad feeling. It just feels like I'm having right. a very unpleasant feeling. Which you're is... having
2: a unpleasant feeling about uh, your thoughts. That is the, the, if that's not cognitive dissonance, you tell me what it is. Okay, well, that's what I
1: figured. I, I just want to make sure that, it's, that I'm in the right zone. You're uh,
2: absolutely right in the right zone. So, so, when you're overcoming cognitive biases, you will feel that a lot. Yeah. When you're using your slow system, your system two, your intentional system, that's a good way of thinking about it your intentional system, your logical, reasonable, intentional system to overcome your autopilot system you're going to be in a state of cognitive dissonance a lot because you're overcoming your intuitions, your emotions, your mental habits that are those primal savage habits, and you're moving towards something different, you know, in the same way that you're in a state of cognitive dissonance when you're trying to resist yourself from taking a donut. So when you see a box of donuts on a table in the break room, it's very tempting to take that donut, right? You know, maybe you're thinking, well, I'll just take half a donut and then you take that half a donut, and then you want to take you want to stop, but then it's you know the other half the donut is looking you in the face, and you're like, ah, uh-huh. I really want to take that. And then you go for the second donut and the third donut, and it's you know, before you know it, half the box is gone. Not that I ever did that, right? Yeah, so this, this is the definition of cognitive dissonance you're trying to resist yourself doing something, and where's that coming from? Well, it's coming from the savanna environment. In the savannah environment, our ancestors had to eat as much sugar as possible when they came across it, you know, raspberries, honey, bananas, apples, all that stuff. We're the descendants of those who had a very strong fight-or-flight response, very strong tribal response, and very strong sugar response. In the modern world, we have just as strong intuitive primal sugar response as our ancestors did, but... Fortunately, doctors have been telling us for over a century that it's a bad idea, and this is why we're trying to do something about it. We know that it's not good for our physical health to eat that much sugar, and it's difficult to resist, to overcome those primal habits. It's just as difficult to overcome all the other primal habits like the confirmation bias, like the fundamental attribution error. And all the other cognitive biases, the optimism bias, the pessimism bias, so many others, it's hard to overcome them. The, and you'll feel the same sort of cognitive dissonance that you are when you're trying to overcome our addiction, intuitive addiction to sugar.
1: The, the other big one I, I see all the time is reasoning from conclusion, which is same, mm-hmm. very similar to the uh, – what's the other bias where you're, you're biasing towards what you want to hear? You, you just mm-hmm. mentioned that one. But, but reasoning from conclusion is very frustrating,
2: yes reasoning from conclusions is definitely one of the biggest cognitive biases so looking at what we want to believe and then using that to make that the, to make the case it's a form of confirmation bias where confirmation you're bias, looking yeah. for information that confirms your beliefs yeah. Yeah. so you're looking for information that confirms your beliefs you already have certain beliefs and you're looking for information that confirms them it's definitely pretty bad and, and it's something that in our happens a lot in our personal relationships happens a lot in our work relationships happens a lot of course in politics civil life cause a lot whole lot of problems i've seen it so much in this election season for example it's unbelievable that, yeah, but yeah, but the
1: whole phenomenon of the google search is what's it feels like it's really amplifying it because yep. people don't know how to reason they don't know how to evaluate information and data and so they just what naturally on the because the autonomic system catches them. What feels good is stuff that confirms what they already believe.
2: Right, exactly. Like the Google search that uh, I mentioned yesterday. You know, I mentioned earlier about why Clinton, uh, why vaccines are dangerous, yeah, supposedly. Yeah. And so we have the Google search. Of course, the other big problem is social media. Social media where people share information that is you know, often patently false, but... People believe it because it comes from others with whom they're connected. And that relates to the in-group tribal, the in-group bias. So the in-group bias and and the out-group bias, they're two cognitive biases, very dangerous, but they come from our tribalism. In the Savannah environment, it was very important for us to be as tribal as possible because our tribe is what enabled us to survive. If we weren't sufficiently tribal, we'd be kicked out of our tribe and we'd die or our tribe would fall apart if other people weren't sufficiently tribal and we'd die as well, or we wouldn't protect our tribe from the invasion of other tribes and and we'd still die. We're the descendants of those, as you noticed, who didn't die. So we are very much tribal right now. So we still have that very strong feelings for people who are in our tribe, who tend to be the people who we're ideologically affiliated with, religiously affiliated with, our social networks, people who are connected to us on social media. And so we trust intuitively, without noticing it's often what they share on social media as reliable. And that shared trust in that what they're sharing on social media as reliable is one of the ways that in-group bias really harms us, really harms our information gathering. And of course, it harms us in personal life as well. So for example, in professional settings, looking at clicks, click groups of people who interact with each other in, in the workplace that often happens and that's a bad in-group problem. And of course, you have the out-group where you feel that people who are in the opposite group, whether you know in the workplace, might be sales versus production. in Obviously, in religion and politics, that has a lot of issues as well. So you f- will feel negatively toward other people who are from groups other than you and attribute to them hostile intent much more than they deserve.
1: Yeah, it's feel we become become actually cultish where there are people you know determining what people think and read and it's it's getting crazy. Um,
2: well, yeah, and that's another cognitive bias called emotional contagion. Hmm. So emotional contagion relates to how when we look at people to whom we attribute leadership, so people who we see as leaders, when we are imbibing their emotions, we basically are. Con- infected by their emotions. Not the best of terms in the context of the pandemic, but it was invented and in discovered, found out in the early 1990s, I think in 1993. So that's when the research on this was done. So it doesn't have anything to do with the pandemic. It's basically us taking in their emotions, accepting their emotions as valid and reflecting their emotions outward in our activities. So this emotional contagion very much relates to cultishness with this leader who we believe in then, then we mirror, echo their emotions.
1: Do you see the way we've responded to the coronavirus as in full of various kinds of cognitive errors? And- oh no, no question. So my
2: book on uh, resilience and how adapt and plan for the new abnormal of the COVID nineteen coronavirus pandemic talks about the specific cognitive biases which we fall into. The biggest one, I have to say, is called the normalcy bias. The normalcy bias has to do with us predicting the future based on the past. Mm. If you think of yourself in the future, five years from now, you'll probably think of yourself as a slightly wiser, slightly older current version of yourself. But think of yourself five years back. You'll probably see that you were a very different person five years back than you are right now. But you don't think of yourself five years in the future as being just as different in many ways as you were five years ago. That's, it's not intuitive to us. That's not something that really happened in the Savannah environment. The Savannah environment, the major changes would be you know, changes of the seasons, spring, summer, fall, w- fall, winter, major, that's the major changes. We would not change that much. Our world would not change that much. The modern world is very different. It changes very quickly. I mean, think about the smartphone, that technological change has been very powerful. Social media, we just talked about that. 2008-2009 fiscal crisis, and, of course, the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. Our world will never be the same. I'm sorry to say that, but we're never going to go back to January 2020. You know, In the most positive possible case, the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine will prove 80 to 90% effective. Very, very unlikely, but that might happen. Then how long will it take the government to produce enough to distribute to people, vaccinate people, considering that only about 60% of the people are currently willing to take a vaccine. Right. Probably less will be given the political season and the kind of challenges that are happening there. Yeah. That will take at least a year, likely more. And it's, it's what will happen? People will have more than a year, for a year and a half from now, for when the, it will be approved by the summer of 2021, and then a year will, will be summer of 2022 by the time it, the, most people have the vaccine. We'll have two years plus of restrictions, of waves of social distancing, of wearing masks, of politicization of this stuff. We're never going to go back. We're going to change our habits, values, norms. And that presumes an incredibly unlikely event, that the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine are 80-90% effective. That's very unlikely, unfortunately. Historically speaking, the first vaccines that have come out have been either ineffective Or to have too many side effects for people to use, or they were something like fifty to sixty percent effective.
1: What what uh, what happened to your optimism bias?
2: (laughs) It went away. (laughs) That is very optimistic. No, no, no. Because I've it, spoken I, to the I, researchers, I've
1: I've dug in deep, and they are extremely enthusiastic. Seasoned researchers are extremely enthusiastic about what the research and how it's going. Extremely, I, awesome. and I have a I have a little pessimism bias, so I just I and I down I downgrade what they tell me, and it's extremely optimistic. But but let no, me let uh, me is this different?
2: You know, what they're saying, I mean, if you look at uh, Fauci and others, they're saying that you know they'll be happy if Pfizer or Moderna are fifty percent effective. So think about what happens if it's 50% effective. Our world doesn't go back to normal magically. Well, it's 50% less likely to get COVID-19. So what, 100,000 people dead instead of 200,000. That's not great. That is a pretty horrible number. People will not go back to normal if it's only 50% effective. We'll not go back to restaurants. You know, We'll not go back to theaters. That is not Or most people won't. That's not our world. Will not go back to normal in that situation. Is that so? The most this different scenario, is this different
1: this, than what Elon Musk is, calls, calls uh, wishful thinking. He said, the other <laughs> day said, he said, you know, I fall victim to this too. I fall victim to wishful thinking. Is that an optimism bias? Is that a normalcy bias? Is that all the above?
2: It's, confer- it's a form of confirmation bias. Yeah, yeah. So where you're looking, you, you're letting your wishes and beliefs confirm your beliefs, yeah. confirm your intuitions. Yeah. So lots of people, and that specifically with the pandemic, the normalcy bias is the biggest issue. Yeah. People are combined with all of these build on top of each other, right? Yeah. So the, co- the confirmation bias builds on top of the normalcy bias. And the normalcy bias causes us to very much wish everything goes back to normal mm. to want to open up to want to go to restaurants to want to go to I I'd love to go back to restaurants I'd love to go back to you know watching theater and, and watching movies hanging out with friends without social distancing that would be wonderful but knowing about the reality of the situation you know I I'm a risk management expert. That is, my, well, that is how I make a living. Mm-hmm. I do disaster avoidance, risk management, strategic planning, decision making. And that as an executive coach, consultant, trainer. Looking at this situation, I can tell you that historically, we fall into the normalcy bias mm-hmm. and we fall into what's called the planning fallacy. Planning fallacy is a huge one we tend to make plans and think everything will go according to plan. Ah. That is what our intuitions tell us, huh. because we feel good about ourselves. We feel good about what we are doing. So the scientists who, let's say the Oxford scientists who are running the AstraZeneca trials, they felt very good. And that was going to be the initial vaccine that the president was, go- was promoting as the you know, best vaccine. And now they had to pause the trials because there was a really big safety issue they are resuming the trials in the UK, not yet in the US, because we in the US require higher standard of evidence that the that uh, the safety safety issue yeah. was not caused by the vaccine but by something else. So that's an example of where clearly the, what was the front runner, that Pfizer and Moderna weren't the front runners, so Strazenko was ahead of them, is now not the front runner. It's, it likely has some safety issues. So what's the likelihood that Pfizer and Moderna won't have safety issues? I very much hope they won't, but that's one out of three, and we don't know about that was in the front. that what had earlier that state trials went further than Pfizer or moderna. And we don't know how effective Pfizer or Moderna will be, that we don't have that evidence yet. So we should not, uh, when we fall into the planning fallacy, we hope for the best. So very much optimistic. So people who tend to be optimistic, like me, tend to fall into the planning fallacy very often. And the planning fallacy tells us that, hey, everything will go fine. Everything will go according to plan. Instead, what you need to realize and have a much healthier thought pattern is that, you, know, you want to make sure that to plan for problems and to plan for risks and crucially for the planning fallacy the key the trick is to use historical precedent to you to evaluate what's going on with reality and the historical precedent of vaccines is that the early the large majority of vaccines fail it take maybe about 10% make it through trials given that 10% or so make it through trials yeah, and we most as AstraZeneca might not make it for the trial. You know, Pfizer Moderna might not make it for the trial. If they do, they might only be as effective as the flu vaccine, which is well, 50% effective. Right? That's not great. We've been trying for over a century to find a vaccine for the flu. Don't have anything better than 50% effectiveness. So who knows about this? These vaccines, but we should definitely not hope for the best, and we should avoid go against our intuitions in trying to open up and my book talks extensively about what strategies to pursue to address our intuitions and instead make the right choices
1: again my only pushback is the flu vaccine is a guess every year the coronavirus is a very specific protein we're going after very specific well, target that does doesn't doesn't change the
2: problem the problem with the flu vaccine is that it mutates quickly Yep. And the coronavirus mutates somewhat slower, but we already know that it mutated. So a paper published in Cell, very prestigious paper, peer-reviewed about two months ago, showed that the original strain that was co- common in Wuhan is now not the most common strain. Yep. There is actually a much more infectious strain that developed. Right. But,
1: but the good news is the binding site on the protein spike does not change. And that's our target. The that's binding our target. site does
2: not change, but we don't know because of trade secrets, what the Pfizer, Moderna, and the AstraZeneca vaccines are meant to address. Oh, interesting. So, so we it. don't know that because of the trade huh. secrets. that They're not open source, right? That's interesting. So we don't we don't know what they're meant to address, whether they're meant to address what aspects of the binding site. Maybe they're meant to address some other aspects of the protein that are Got problematic. It. Got so. It. They might not be effective against this new version. We don't know that. Interesting. So that is a big major question and we don't know how quickly, you know. If this evolved within six months, this new more infectious strain, we don't know what will happen in the future. So that's another issue with COVID nineteen that might be a serious problem. Uh, uh,
1: yes, uh, I got to wrap things up, but I could talk to you a whole bunch more. Yeah, did, this is really fun. Did it is fun. Did did you did you? I, I, we just went through all those different cognitive distortions and things. Did we do it in such a way that we parsed it out between optimism and pessimism? You think sufficiently, and and th- those yes. are the things you address as you as you look at people who have those biases of optimism and pessimism, yes?
2: Yes. And yeah. the crucial thing, the critical thing in general to address cognitive biases is to notice when you're comfortable with something and question that feeling of comfort that feeling of comfort is often going to lead you in the wrong direction. So you want to distance yourself from that feeling of comfort in any area that you don't want to screw up, whether your relationships, whether your plans, whether your approach to the future. You want to distance yourself from that feeling of comfort and use your head instead of your gut to evaluate how do you best reach your goals. That is the essential framework that I talk about and how don't trust your intuitions, don't trust your gut, and you want to change your mental habits to make sure that you have not those primitive savage habits, but the developed ones which will help you adapt in the modern world. And that's what my body of work is about. Whether it's never go with your gut, how pioneering leaders make the best decisions and avoid business disasters, that's for business decision-making, professional decision-making all areas of your life, decision-making, risk management, risk management. There's another book called The Blind Spots Between Us, How to Overcome Unconscious Cognitive Bias and Build Better Relationships, which focuses on relationships naturally in your personal and professional life or on COVID-19, Resilience, Adapt and Plan, for the new abnormal of the COVID 19 coronavirus pandemic. I think and I'm going to have, those, I'm gonna have yeah. to get all
1: three. I'm going to have to get all three. And, and, and because these are, you can literally use it as a reference, you know, as you to, to come upon these different cognitive biases in these context of the relationships and the coronavirus and whatnot, business situations. And you taught me something else too. You taught me that when I have a bad feeling, so called, uh, it's me judging the feeling to be bad and that's okay. It's not my feeling this bad. It's actually me being more civilized. So actually, I feel good about it. So as opposed to feeling bad about the feeling I'm having, I'm feeling good about feeling bad,
2: which is really interesting. Yeah, no, you you absolutely should because you're entering a state. That is a very important thing to do. Most people don't. Most people trust their feelings. They just, oh, I feel this, therefore it's right, therefore I will go ahead with it. You're questioning your feelings, and that's very important. That's a fundamental part of noticing these problems in our brain where our gut reactions are pointing us in the wrong direction. You want to be in that state of cognitive dissonance, become comfortable with that discomfort and learn from it and see, okay, maybe I should change my mental habits in this area to a different area. Right. And you will in, you'll, and that's the way that you'll become an integrated person. Right now, when somebody cuts me off on the highway, I have been, you know, as someone who has the fight response, I used to be very aggressive. Right now, I'm much less aggressive. I intuitively go to the thought pattern: Oh, this person, you know, I going to the hospital. Intuitively, would tend to ascribe jerk status, but now I intuitively <laughs> go to the thought pattern: You know, maybe this person has something going on. Maybe they didn't see me, and so on. Interesting. So that's a much healthier thought pattern. All right,
1: my friend, I've got to wrap this up. And also, All let's right. go to the website. The website is DisasterAvoidanceExperts.com. dot com. Twitter: Gleb, G-L-E-B underscore Sapursky. T S I P U R S K Y. Thank you for so much for joining me.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me
1: out. It's great. See you guys next time